So today we will be turning in the word to Matthew chapter 12, and we will be reading from verses 14 through 21, Matthew 14, or Matthew 12, 14 through 21. And so let us read the word of God. Then the Pharisees went out and held a council against him, that is Jesus, how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall show judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not strive nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust. With the word of God open before us, let us all pray again. Our dear Lord, as we have our, the, your word open before us, Lord, I pray that it would be a blessing to each and every one of our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to say. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each and every one of us through this passage. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us in this time, and I pray that you would bless us. And Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. Lord, I pray this in thy son's holy name. Amen. Amen. So I would like to take as my main text for today, verse 20, verse 20, the passage overall shows us that Jesus' ministry on earth was like no other. We know that Jesus did things that no one else had ever done. He performed miracles right and left, and he taught like no other person before him or after him. But one thing that sets Jesus Christ's ministry apart from all the others is the way in which it was done. The Jews had a vastly different expectation of the Messiah's ministry than in what it really would be. Their expectation was very different from the reality. They expected the Messiah to come as a conqueror that would engage in warfare with the Romans, the invaders that occupied their land. They expected him to reestablish the throne of David and to usher in a golden era in Israel. But they weren't really the only ones who had an expectation that contrasted from the reality. The Gentiles also had an expectation, not really of what the Messiah would be, because they really didn't have the Messiah, if you will, on their radar. But they had an expectation of not being treated with gentleness, but with malevolence. Because I can't say for certain how most people of that day treated each other, but odds are it's the same as the unsaved treat each other in today's day. And I think it's a safe assumption to say that most people of that day treated everyone else in a way that benefited themselves. 
because that's the way the fallen nature is, to treat other people as means to an end and as inferior beings. And after living amongst that expectation of being treated in that same way, we can have this expectation built up. The same can often be true of ourselves in our day. We, as Christians, live in the world, and generally we expect to be treated by those that are of the world in a very unkind manner. But despite this, we strive to treat everyone as Christ would have us to do, as we studied this morning, where we love others before ourselves and we love God. And as I said, many may build up an expectation of being treated in this way. But one of the biggest mistakes we can make is to carry that same kind of expectation of being treated harshly into our relationship with our Lord, Jesus Christ. Because in this relationship, the expectation could not be more different from the reality. As we see from verse 20, Jesus showed gentleness through his ministry. And he will continue to treat us in that same way. He will not seek to deride or to hurt. He will seek to give encouragement and to build us up. He has already given us life. And as we continue in our lives, he will give it more abundantly. He has given us substance in which we can hope. And that is what I would like to preach on today. Jesus Christ gives victory to the brokenhearted. Jesus Christ gives victory to the brokenhearted. And to begin with, I would like to look at the condition of the brokenhearted. In verse 20, it describes a bruised reed and a smoking flax. And so, who is a smoking flax? Or who is a broken reed? Firstly, from the context, we know that how Christ acted towards the Pharisees, Jews, and Gentiles that were around exemplified the fact that he would not break a bruised reed nor quench the smoking flax. So whoever it refers to must be within these groups. And the second thing, clue that gives us an identity of who is referring to with the smoking reed, smoking flax, and bruised reed is from Hebrew parallelism. And so all of this leads us to see that both of these things are talking about the same kind of person. And so it continues on, and so we look at what the metaphors mean of themselves, the bruised reed and the smoking flax. So the first one, a bruised reed, is most often considered to be someone whose strength is gone out. They are bruised and hurting. The slightest touch might turn them from a bruised reed to a broken one. The reed was used as many things in ancient times, including building materials, as a walking stick, or possibly even as an instrument. But one thing that remains true for each of these 
is that if it was bruised, then the purpose for which it existed would be gone because structurally it could not support itself. I don't know if you've ever tried to build something with, with paper, but the only thing you can do to get it to support any kind of weight is to roll it up. But when you do that, you have to be very careful because if you put a crease in it, then it's not going to support any more weight. It will have a bruise in it, if you will. And that piece of paper will no longer support any weight. The same goes for a bruised reed, although there is still some strength left in it. But regardless, it would most likely be considered useless for its original purpose. Now let's look at the smoking flax. Flax was used oftentimes as a wick for a candle. A candle is used as a source of light, but if its wick has no flame, then it is not fulfilling its purpose. It's still burning, mind you, but there is no flame. The purpose for which it existed is gone. And what do you do when a candle no longer gives off light? You douse it and you get another one. You throw it away. Thus, we can see what these two metaphors represent. And it is someone whose strength, whose ability to continue doing what they've always done and what they were meant to do is nearly wiped out. Their hope for things to get better is gone and they can no longer endure. And so this is describing a person who, for whatever reason, has reached a point where they believe that they can no longer fulfill their purpose, no longer, no, nor do they have a desire to fulfill that purpose. And so the second question that we have to ask about this is, what is the cause? What has brought them to this condition? And the answer is, is sin. Not necessarily sin in their own lives, but potentially sin in another person's life where they have been wronged or they have encountered something discouraging. And so sin in other people's lives is off, often saps our strength. And also sin in our own life sometimes saps our own strength. And I would like to look at two examples of this from Scripture to flesh out what this, what I mean by the cause of this. Firstly, from the life of Elijah in 1 Kings 19, verse 4. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to that chapter, 1 Kings 19, verse 4. And so in this passage, Elijah is in the middle of his ministry. And Elijah has seen God work in a miraculous way. 
But in 19 verse 4, we find him as a bruised reed and as a smoking flax. In 19, 1 Kings 19, 4, it says, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. We have to ask ourselves what brought him to this condition. We know that Elijah is one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, but what brought him to this circumstance? We know that in the previous chapters of 1 Kings, we see God sending down fire from heaven to consume a sacrifice. When the priest of Baal had a contest of whose God is better, but and God worked miraculously in that. And showed something amazing. And God caused a victory over the prophets of Baal. And then consider also how Elijah had seen God to cause a drought of of three years. And then caused rain to come after that. And And that drought was to bring Israel into a realization that they must depend upon the Lord. But we see, as I read in chapter 19, verse 4, that he's at the end of his strength. And his hope for Israel to keep her covenant with the Lord is all but gone out. And the reason for this is somewhat debated, but I think the best explanation is that He has labored for years, preaching to the Israelites. He has just seen God work miraculously. And after seeing such things, surely then, he believed, would would the people trust in God. But such is not the case. They continue in their sin. And in fact, after this, Ahab and Jezebel, the evil king and queen, are still pursuing him and trying to kill him. Virtually everything he has worked for seems to be for nothing. So he feels like giving up. The actions of those around him, the anger and hatred towards him, the sins of others have influenced him to lose faith. Now, let's call it what it is. Doubting God is sin and should never be condoned. But this is a struggling time that many of us can come to in each of our lives where possibly the unsaved in the world can treat us harshly or or potentially we see a falling away of someone and and this discourages us and so we may feel like a bruised reed or a broken flax But the second example that I would like us to see is that of Peter in Matthew 26. I'm sure you all know of the occasion of this passage. Jesus had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane and had been betrayed by one of his disciples and had been abandoned by the rest of them. He had then been taken before the high priest and the council to be tried of his crimes he never committed and to be accused wrongfully. And by this time, Peter has come to the palace. 
and is sitting without with the servants who begin to recognize Peter as one of the disciples. And then Peter lies and he flat out denies to know Jesus. And after being asked about it the third time, it says in Matthew 26, verses 74 through 75, then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. And immediately the cock crew. And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him, Before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and wept bitterly. I think it would be safe to imagine that Peter, right here, felt like smoking flax. Felt like, after this, how can I get back up to where I was before? How can I keep on going? He was one of the disciples of Christ, someone who was supposed to follow and obey Christ. But he failed, and the consequential guilt most certainly racked his conscience. And Peter himself state, had stated that Jesus was the Christ and that he would never deny him, yet he did. And that failure to follow through with his word caused him deep turmoil, so much so that he went out and wept bitterly. These kinds of experiences and feelings are, truth be told, very common for believers. And I wonder if there are any here that feel themselves to be in those exact same places. You're like a bruised reed or a smoking flax with little strength to keep going whether from sin in someone else's life that has discouraged you or, or sin in your own life that has so shattered you hope that you can't keep going. Your heart is broken. And if you find yourself today in that condition of the brokenhearted, then let me tell you that Jesus Christ gives hope and victory to the brokenhearted. Because the second thing that we see from our passage in Matthew 12 is the coming of God's chosen, well-beloved servant. And we see this first in the purpose for which Jesus Christ came, the Messiah. From verse 18, we see that the purpose was to show judgment to the Gentiles. This word judgment is mentioned again in verse 20. And across almost all commentaries, this word is equated with the gospel. Because by the gospel, and on the basis of this, of whether people refuse or accept it, shall they be judged. And for those who feel their own weakness and lack of spiritual strength, but who trust in God and in his gospel, that judgment shall lead to victory. Thus, the design of the gospel was the purpose of achieving victory over sin through Christ's death on the cross. As Isaiah 25, verse 8 puts it, he will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord will God will wipe away tears from off all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken. Now, what would be the implications of this? This would mean that as it relates to our text, his purpose is not to leave the brokenhearted in their state of hopelessness, but to give them new life. And it would be to give them a new purpose. 
as we considered this morning, of loving and serving him. But the second thing about God's chosen servant that is indelibly linked to Christ's purpose is Christ's gentleness. And this really is the centerpiece of our text. Christ did not deal with those around him with harshness, nor will he deal with us in that way. Because, you see, with the bruised reed and the smoking flax, most people would see a useless instrument. They would say, I'm done with you. I have no more use for you. Not so with Christ. When he sees us downtrodden and failing, he comes alongside. He binds the bruises and brings life back into the smoldering flax. How is it then that we don't do the same? We can take a lesson from Christ and his gentleness in how it is exemplified in how the Lord has encouraged his saints throughout the ages. Think back to Elijah in 1 Kings 19. When he was in that state of as a bruised reed, how did the Lord respond to him? The first thing he did was to care for him. He sent an angel to give him food, drink, and rest. Then later on, he comforted him by giving hope for the future and for the present. He told him that his enemies would be vanquished and that there still were people that were faithful. He says in verse 18, Yet have I left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed down unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. He told him that there still was hope and that victory was coming. And so, as Elijah, we know that we are loved and that we are cared for. And so, no matter what we may come across in our lives that may discourage us, that might break our hearts, we know that we are loved and that Christ will build us back up. We know that we are loved. Now think back to Peter. The next time that Christ is recorded speaking directly to Peter is in John 21. And what he says to him is truly remarkable. He simply asks him three times, Lovest thou me? Now, what I would give to see Christ's face as he said those words to Peter. You know, normally when people do something that hurts someone else, you know, they want to remind them of, of what you, they did to me. Remind them of what they did wrong. But that's not how Christ would have done it. As he said, lovest thou me, it was to build back up, to not bruise the smoke, the to bruise, to break the bruised reed, nor to quench the smoking flax. He would have no spark of anger, no bitterness, only love, gentleness, and forgiveness. In both of these circumstances, the Lord was perfectly gentle. We know that God builds up the fallen sinner and the fallen Christian. Because 
we know that when we fall, we shall arise. The just man, though he falls seven times, will get back up. As you, it's an interesting thing to study the term justification in the Old Testament. As that verse I mentioned talks about, the just man, though he falls seven times, shall get back up. Because when it says he is just, that is not talking about an internal characteristic, if you will, of like saying this person is, is brave or this person is, is courageous. It is talking more of a legal designation. Because for the Christian, we have been declared righteous. And we have the righteousness of Christ. And when it speaks of a just man falling, it is meaning that he is a justified person. And so on the basis of the fact that he has been redeemed, he will get back up. And so we need not remain in that condition of the brokenhearted. We need only to come to Christ and we shall find victory. Because look back at Matthew 12, 20. The end of that verse says, till he send forth judgment unto victory. The purpose that Christ had in coming to this earth was fulfilled. And the gentleness of Christ, the love of Christ, was displayed to the world. And Christ achieved victory. For as he went up to Calvary, he was as a bruised reed, yet with no sin. There were those who sought to put his light out, who sought to break him like a bruised reed. But he continued on, and in his death, the power of sin was conquered. So for each of you here today, victory over sin and those that would hinder us is sure if we place our trust in Christ. So not only do we have victory, but we also have a friend. Someone from whom we can expect gentleness and love. And we can come to him no matter our state, no matter our failures. He invites us in and tells us, you are mine. He does not add to our burden and tells us, it's your burden, your fault, your problem. No, no. Lay it all on me, he says. Cast it off. I will carry it. And Christ did carry it. He took it all the way to Calvary. And he dealt with it there. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In him there is hope and, and life eternal. 
And so today, I would like to encourage each and every one of you that as we see the gentleness of Christ, we know that he will build us up and he will continue us going in our lives. And we can place our trust and our faith in him.